Good afternoon, Fabcasters. This is our bar with the drive time with a special edition of the drive time. Never done an interview while while moving at 65 miles an hour. So this is history in the making. I got with me in the car. This today's studio is a Subaru. What kind of Subaru is this? Crosstrek. Crosstrek. Nice. So we, we will not be getting stuck. Anyways, I got my good friend and colleague. Scott, and um, as always, as a precursor to this show, I, I, I say and have to clarify that uh, nothing we talk about on the show is an expression of the views of our neighborhood, our state, our county, our region, our country, our universe, um, not even the government for that matter, or any government from any country. So, all right, <laughs> we represent nobody but ourselves. Right. Hopefully what we're talking about, we're representing God. I'll just say that. Hopefully, we're representing God. Um, man, uh, and I figured, Scott, that you were too f- too colorful of a person to, to miss this interview. So, let's let's just start there. Um, you are a colorful man. Thank you. So, and I mean that literally, like you're, you're, you're the illustrated man. You got, you got ink going from your, um, your wrist to your neck. Anywhere else? Does it go down to your ankles? Let's just say I have two two semesters worth of college invested in my skin. Okay. Um, Not sure which college, but yeah. So I haven't. I've only seen your wrist and your neck. I don't. You don't need to take off your shirt or anything. But uh, what? I mean, tell us what what are what is some of this? What does this illustrate? What what are, what do these illustrations mean? Yeah, and I think it would be dangerous to uh, to show you at seventy miles an hour <laughs> yeah. on ninety five south, but sixty five. We're going. We're going the speed limit. That's right. That's right. Um, I yeah. I think a lot of my tattoos represent um, a lot of them are, are religious iconography. They represent a lot of my spiritual journey. Um, they're things that I wrestled with. Uh, throughout my life, um, law and grace, um, my identity as a as a son of God, my struggles with depression, all all are sort of represented through American traditional Japanese tattoos. Um, there's a lot of symbolism that represents uh, things that God has shown me, things that I've struggled with in my own uh, in my own heart. And um, tattooing was just one way of, of expressing those things, um, kind of a rite of passage, if you will. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess a little more more context about your life would would be appropriate, and, and why why I would ask you that. So so. Uh, you are a pastor yes and uh i'm not gonna say i've never but i've i've uh seen very very few maybe only one other two pastors with as much ink as you have i did i was uh privileged to meet uh sort of like this ex-biker gang church in anaheim um but it was just all dudes with tattoos on their face tattoos but they i mean they don't yeah Wow. That's, that's a different. That's a different story. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah, you're sort of like the anomaly 
of of the of the pastoral realm. Yeah. <laughs> so you ever run into these hyper Christians who's like, ah, tattoos are sinful, and the Deuteronomy says, don't write on, you shall not have any tattoos or whatever verses they make up. What what have oh, you yeah. run into those guys, and what do you say to them? Oh yeah. All right. So <laughs> a funny story about that. Um, so I started getting tattooed when I was eighteen, and, and honestly. Um, the majority of my tattoos were born out of my struggle with faith, um, but also an identification with the counterculture, you know, with, with the punk hardcore music scene. Um, so it was, it, it was an expression of, of who I thought I was, uh, at 18 years old. And so I'm in DC. My father had taken my brother and I to a promise keepers conference. On the uh, um, steps of the Capitol, we were. Uh, wait, wait a minute! Is this stand in the gap? It, I, it probably was. Yeah, dude, I was there, 1998. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Dude. Yeah, it was like a warm summer day yeah. in, in DC. Yep, yeah. yeah. You might have seen me with my shirt off and uh, a sweet son of God belly rocker. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> I was with my dad for most of the day, um, and then towards the end, as the heat began to set in and uh, my patience began to wear thin, I, uh, my brother and I kind of wandered off, and we were going to some of the local Smithsonian's to rehydrate. And um, so, at one point, because I was 18 and cool, I, I had my shirt off, uh, showing off my new tattoo. This, this is the first one. Um, no, it wasn't the first, but. Um, yeah, so if it was 98, then I would have been, uh, what, 20, 21 years old. So I didn't have a whole lot of tattoos then. Uh, I I'm probably only had about a grand invested in my skin at that time. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I had a few tattoos. Uh, I was there in the sun. Had my shirt off. And uh, so this Christian biker-looking dude walks up to me. He's got, like, your... your um, uh, stereotypical, you know, Jesus shirts on, you know, with a leather vest and whatnot. And he walks up to me and, uh, he feigns interest in my tattoos. He says, Hey bro, sweet ink, man. Where'd you get that at? And as I began a response to him, something to the effect of, well, I'm from Southeastern Pennsylvania and before I could even get to the third word, he starts screaming at me that Jesus would be very angry at my tattoos if he was there right now. Um, so this very passionate Christian biker without tattoos, um, basically... Are you allowed to be a biker without tattoos? I was dubious of his background. Uh, just based upon his non-tattoo body. But yes, he basically just ripped me to shreds, like up and down in the name of Jesus, uh, according to his translation of the 633 Deuteronomical laws that I was not following. Meanwhile, I look over at his wife or significant other, and she's just sheepishly looking at me, almost apologetically looking at me, uh, for her uh, pharisaical 
husband's berating of my body ink. Um, so that was my first um, extreme uh, experience with people who had a very different interpretation of uh, how we follow Old Testament rule, Old, Old Testament uh, laws in regards to uh, tattooing the body. Since then, um, you know, people, I guess, are a little bit more subtle about it now. Um, but yes, I, I, from time to time, you know, I'll have a conservative um, chaplain or a conservative pastor um, make certain comments. Um, but for the most part, I, they're, they're much more subtle in their judgment of me. What is it? What does a subtle judgment look like? <laughs> It'll be like a comment, like, "Well, if you're going to interpret the law that way, um, <laughs> you know," oh, or, or, or they'll say something like, "When we're talking about ministering to sailors, and, and my tattoos will come up, and and I'll say, well, you know, I truly believe that God uses my tattoos as a, as a door, you know, as as a ministerial opportunity um, to reach a millennial, and." Uh, They'll say something like, well, not all sailors would accept your religious authority based upon your body art. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it comes from time to time. But obviously because more and more and more people are getting tattooed, uh, it's not as much of a shocker as it might have been 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I'm, I'm already thinking of people who would, who would look from a distance and say, oh, my gosh, is he even a, you know – can can you be a Christian and, and put a tattoo on your body? So, speaking to that older crowd, how, how do you graciously, I don't know, let's just say they would have the courage to just ask you about it. How do you graciously respond to that or educate? Um, you know, honestly, um, I know there's different types of apologeticists. I. I'm not the type that goes toe-for-toe in systematic theology, you know, looking at, you know, your hermeneutic tradition that you use to interpret the Old Testament. But if someone backs me into a corner, you know, I'll ask them, like, do you pick and choose which Old Testament laws you follow? Um, You know, I've noticed that the corners of your hair are cut. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So... You know, I don't know. I, I honestly, um, <laughs> before I got my first tattoo, I asked religious leaders of many different faith backgrounds how they felt about tattoos. And I got a, I got a wide spectrum of responses. But I think probably the best response that I got was by this wise old pastor. And he said, honestly, I don't think... It's the tattoo itself is a sin. I think it's a heart issue. If your heart's in the wrong place, even for something that other people might say is good, that's still a sin, what I believe. Um, so I came to realize that if, I, if I'm spending hundreds of dollars a week getting tattoos, but I'm not giving my money to my church, to sending organizations, you know, to... to ministries for poor and underprivileged, then I'm wrong. I'm sinning. Um, I don't believe that the act of putting ink underneath seven layers of epidermis um, is is a grievous sin. And that's just my own personal interpretation. 
um, I, I believe it's a heart issue. Now, now you're speaking my language, man. That that is what I mean. Isn't the the heart of every issue the issue of the heart? So we're, I know we're preaching to the choir for the for the regulars on this Fabcast. They know that language very, very well. Um, you got my attention on punk rock influence. So name some punk rock bands. Oh man, uh, so. When I first kind of got into the punk rock scene, I was 16, 17 years old, angry suburban youth from outside of Philadelphia. And um, so there was, a, in, in Westchester, Pennsylvania, there's a, there was a pretty big, at least in our, our circles, uh, punk label called Creep Records. Uh, so we used to go to all these local shows, the Queers. Um, oh, the Queers. There's all these shows around in the Philadelphia area. For me, though, I think... Now, you got to educate. For, for listeners, the other half of them are like, what? What? What kind of band? So the Queers. You just got to briefly... Who are the Queers? It was just a pop punk band, yeah. you know, in, in mid-90s. W- were they gay? No. Yeah. No. Okay. Um... Not that I knew. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't think no, they were. No, no, it's just, but I remember that. I remember that band. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, Just weird, weird, a lot of weird names. Okay. Yeah, but, um, you know, it was just a time when um, everyone wore, like, baggy Jenko pants, and we rocked airwalks, and we, we rode skateboards with tiny little wheels, and we listened to Rancid, and we listened to Operation Ivy, and we listened to Screeching Weasel, and we listened yeah. to... Um, all these bands, like I guess, that kind of captured the frustration and the anger that we felt. You know, the teenage angst that you will, you know, that, that Black I Black Flag. Yeah, yeah, Black Flag. You know, it, it's funny because I, I would say probably when I started really getting into like punk rock, it was probably about um, ninety three, ninety four, ninety five. Um, so you obviously had like your big players like Green Day and Rancid that Dookie. were huge. Oh yeah, Kerplunk, 10,039 Slap Happy Hours. Um, there was also Blink-182 was coming out at the time. but yeah, it, it was wasn't, Offspring, yeah. Bad Religion. Yeah. I, I mean there was just... M- MTV kind of like pseudo-punk. Yep, yep. But because I, I was a Christian, um, but also struggling with my faith... Um, and, and and kind of had one foot. There was a there was a part of me that could never um, let go of God, the reality of God. But at the same time, the other part of me uh, was angry at getting kicked out of a church for my own knuckleheadedness. But um, angry because of the dysfunction in my family of origin. Um, there was a part of me that was very rebellious. So one minute I would be listening to MXPX, you I'm know, just about to ask you Christian, about MXPX. Christian punk rock. Yeah. Listen at you. Punkin at you, teenage politics. I would listen to that. And then I get high at that same time. Yes. So there was just this real tension, just this real battle that I had inside of me and, and, uh, <laughs> crazy times. Yeah. So just not to steal you, steal your spotlight here, but, um, MXPX's very first show in California because they're from Seattle. Yeah. Tooth and Nail Records was in my youth group, Mission Hill Student Gathering, Mission Viejo, California. Wow. After that night, they blew up, like yeah. blew up, 
and it was the time it was the it was I think it was one of their first shows with the new guitarist. The old yeah, they, yeah. Had, they had that blue I album. Met, I met the old guitarist. Yeah. What happened to that dude? He runs a um he runs a restaurant up in uh Bremerton now. Yeah, but why did he leave um, MXPX? <sighs> you know, I met him at a show. I was stationed up in uh, Bremerton banger for a while and uh i met him i think his name was andy or something like that and he uh i forget why exactly i I think i I can't remember if it was a personality issue or if he wanted to go to college or something like that but interesting either case he probably was kicking himself like wow these guys because they blew up after that so that was that first show um and i'm I'm not judging anybody but the new guitarist at that first show no tattoos whatsoever yeah. Uh, fast forward like four years, and he's he's uh, you know illustrate like because Mike the, the the bassist and the lead singer, yeah, had always had tattoos from his chin down to to God knows where. Um, the drummer well, the drummer he, never had any tattoos. Yuri, he never has. Yeah, yeah. He, that guy was a beast on the drums, man. Yeah, yep. So there was that show there. Um, yeah, man, you're totally '90s kid, punk rock, but still in church. So we're like, I'm learning things about you. That's it's so cool a lot in common uh, also out of that church came a band called Saved which turned into the Supertones OC Supertones yeah yes yeah, OC Orange County Supertones yeah um, but nobody called it the OC it was really yeah, yeah I know there was like a show Orange County right 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 but I mean nobody in Orange County was saying we're from the OC it's, that was a TV show um, that was probably some record producer or like yeah yeah <laughs> No, but uh, yeah, Supertones, man. Uh, so Jason Carson, the drummer from the Supertones, was I was, he was my core group leader, my little small group, high school core group leader. Wow. Um, and and if you didn't remind him that he was in the band, he would either forget or he would just it wasn't part of the con- it wasn't part of who he was. Like in Bible study, he would just be talking about Jesus and about I, I just remember him talk breaking down John thirteen, which still to this very day is is top three favorite passages in all of scripture Jesus washing disciples feet and wow and him not even talking about himself but just role modeling that humility that Christ had in the text when he gets naked and starts washing his disciples feet like like the lowest slave job in the ancient world um but yeah man MX I was just before you said MXPX I was about to ask you about MXPX because all Christian kids who love the sound of punk and wanted to be punk rockers, but we, we sort of had to like yeah. keep listening to that stuff to keep some Christian <laughs> message in our in our minds as we're as we're like going to youth group, and at the same time I'm putting gutter mouth and white caps and minor threat and adolescence uh. and seven seconds and and um, strung out and HFL like like yeah. o- OC hardcore like HFL and straight face. It's it's <laughs> I, and I wonder how much of that. Um, has has messed up my mind, yeah. like saturating my soul with all that garbage. And is is that stuff really? Does it really matter? I mean, there's some teenagers who listen, and there's some young kids who listen to the show. Does it really matter what kind of music I'm, I'm listening to? I mean, what if I'm just listening to the beat? Does it really affect my soul? That's a good question. Uh, I mean. Um... My and I always kind of go back to what my youth pastor. I, I'm so grateful to have had a man uh, named Mark, 
who who's been an influence in my life for the last 21 years. He was actually my youth pastor. Um, he had a Christian rock band. Um, he was a music major uh, in college, a violin prodigy growing up. Um, plays keyboards, violin, uh, guitar, and bass. Wow. Uh, very very talented. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and we would talk about music and the power that music has, and and I think, you know, just to echo what he would tell me, that there's there's a very, very dynamic spiritual aspect to music. Um, sometimes my wife and I will laugh when we're driving, and uh, we put on like the Sirius XM radio, and we'll pop on Lithium, like the the Total Grunge channel. Yeah, the nineties. Yeah, and we'll be amazed at how quickly we will start singing lyrics that we have not heard in like 15 years. Yes. And so I think, you know, to answer your question, I, th- I think that there is something powerful about music. I think that there's a, um, there's a, there's a uh, level of consciousness that, that those words and messages kind of sink into without us being conscious of, um, that you have, just have to be careful about doesn't mean um i remember and you probably remember this too back in the 90s uh in the late 90s there was all this like movement like burn your secular cds like god is not honored by your secular cd yeah yeah i i I broke all all my vinyl (laughs) well this is the first time this is being aired my 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 brother who listens to this show will probably right now is probably like what that's where my records went but but i remember I remember I used to listen to K-Wave 107.9, which was the Christian radio station in San Clemente. And I just remember, like, having this, you know, yeah, man, I just remember smashing records, like like a Whitecaps record. <laughs> and my, my brothers were like, what? But, that wasn't yours, Ryan. That yeah, was I know. Mine. I know. Our room was plastered with shows. Like, we saw, my brother and I saw, um, um, uh, No Doubt. We saw wow. no doubt Gwen Stefani when they weren't big at all. We saw her in a barn, in, in a venue in a barn in Anaheim because wow. she's from Anaheim. She went to Loera High School. And um, yeah, man, just popping around from show to show. Yeah. And my brother and his crew were, were five years older than me, so, but I would tag along. I'm like a ki- I'm like a little kid in a mosh pit at these at these hardcore punk rock <laughs> hardcore shows. And uh, I'm also a wrestler, so I'm like, dude, I'm like getting a kick out of like getting, getting in the mosh pit and, and um, seeing it as a challenge, <laughs> like uh, getting knocked over, getting picked back up by my brother's friend, Eric. And anyways, That's uh, wild. Yeah. I, I lost track of what we, I got too excited when we talked about. <laughs> what were we talking about? We we're talking about messages. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Does it, does it, does the music I listen to matter if all I'm listening to is the beat? You know, I, I think that um, I, I think you just have to be discerning, um, and and if you and, and you know, for, for the young people out there that are listening to this, what I would do is when I would when I would buy a new CD, um, I, I would bring it to my uh, to my my youth pastor, and I'd show him most of it most of the time because I wanted to show him what I was listening to and, and just kind of get his take on it. Um, but uh, you have to be discerning, you know, because those messages stay with you longer than you'd, you'd realize. 
Um, it's not to say don't listen to uh, secular music. I, I think it's important that um, we, we as Christians don't remain sheltered to secular culture. Um, there is a lot there's a lot of uh, good songwriting out there. There's a lot of um, themes that you can identify in secular music, um, themes of restoration, of hope that, that you can touch on and talk about with uh, your non-Christian friends that uh, could be a, a point of relatability. Um, so I, I guess just to sum it all up, as Christians, we have a, a responsibility not to stick our heads in the sand um, sure. and, yeah. and not engage with culture. I, I think it's important to, um, you know, know what's happening in culture without becoming uh, inoculated with it. Absolutely. So, yeah, some situational awareness, being able to relate to the message that's that's being put out there. Now, yeah. and that, you know what's funny? Um, I, I'll never forget. I, my wife and I had a radio show a few years ago, and we were interviewing uh, a Christian singer-songwriter from the West Coast. And he said something that, that I'll always remember. He said, he said, <laughs> Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor, um, Pretty Hate Machine. He said, there's a song on there that's, that could be taken directly out of Amos. Like there is prophetic overtones because yeah. he's talking about televangelists and, and yeah. you know, get on your knees and, and worship me and um, bow down to the one that you – it, he's like there's more truth coming out of Trent Reznor's mouth than there was, you know, a whole host of Christian contemporary musicians at yeah. that time. Yeah. And, but as Christ, as the church, because we get so stuck in like this is Christian and this is not, <laughs> you know, we're, we're missing that prophetic voice yeah. coming from you know, Balaam's ass. <laughs> sure. No, I, I mean, and so with that, I want to go back to this music thing. But what I've been seeing in Scripture is that the Apostle Paul will leverage the secular wisdom or the poets of the day at the time, and and that's that stuff's in Scripture. Yeah. Like when he's talking to people, it's like as your poets say, and he's got he's got cultural knowledge memorized, and he's he's leveraging it for the as a platform for the gospel. Right. So, right. So do you think it's it's sort of that same way where like if I if I am aware and listening to secular music for the purpose of like seeing what kind of message is being being promulgated today what's um, being put in the youth's mind as well as adults and, and am I listening to the secular music to really just to see if it can be a platform for the gospel or can I listen as part of like you know I just like to listen to this stuff man it amps me up before I surf or before I drive or before I go mountain biking or, or what yeah you know honestly I, I was doing some recreational reading and um, I, I read weird things recreationally but there's a uh, <laughs> There was a, a book um, by a, a professor at a, a Christian school out in California. It's called Into the Dark, a Cultural Exegesis. And um, here's this, this professor um, commenting on culture and theology. And, and he, he's, looking at, um, he's looking primarily at movies and, and what movies 
say about a culture, um, about the spiritual needs, you know, the, the spiritual health of the culture. And um, what's profound is that he's talking about how because the church has lost a lot of relevance with young people today, we're going other places to have spiritual needs met. Um, there was a Barna study not too long ago that said that only 13% of millennials attend church on a regular basis. So that's 87% of millennials, people born after 1980, are getting their, their spirituality from other places. Um, and so this, uh, this author was, was commenting about how um, when, when you look at the, the religious institutions of any given culture, um, and, it, and he was commenting on Europe, how the cathedrals have become museums. None of the young people go to church uh, in the old yeah, churches there. Right. Um, and he was talking about how in America, the churches have become, they look more like factories with the multimedia, true. Uh, multimedia presentations and the lights and the sounds. It looks more like a kind of a factory setting. Uh, young people are going other places um, to, to meet their spiritual needs. You know, and that's why you hear a lot of people talk about like, watching shows like Supernatural, you know, or spending a lot of time out in nature to get those spiritual needs filled. Um, I, I think that as Christians, we need to take back the arts. And I, I, I sense that there is a real movement towards this. You know, during the Renaissance, artists, musicians, who were Christian expressed their faith through creative means in powerful ways. And we had the attention of the world. Um, I think the church has lost that for a few centuries, but we're getting it back. Um, so in order for the church to continue to creatively tell the story of the gospel um, through all types of mediums, uh, we need to we need to know what really good singer-songwriters, filmmakers, writers are doing in the secular realm um, so that we stay relevant, so that we hone our own craft, so that we put out great art uh, for the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I mean, ab absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, for me, from a design eye perspective, you know, I like to make videos and you, our YouTube channel has I like to put out good stuff yeah and I think the content I was laughing about this yeah as well as, as well as content but to but to to honor God by 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 putting some creativity behind it and not just so I've noticed that if a site has animated GIFs and it's kind of cheesy looking then it's either a cult or some <laughs> something with bad theology but it's just seems to be and it can go the other way too where something looks really good they've obviously poured ten thousand dollars into designing their website but it's just empty yeah nothing to offer yeah. but um yeah I, I i couldn't agree with you more brother that that 
we already have the gospel message. Why not put some extra effort into creativity and, and trying to reach a generation that can only be reached um, if you speak their language. So with that, uh, said we'd go back to this music thing just full circle and then, and then close this one off. Um, what do you listen to now? You know, my, I don't know. I, I love a wide variety of music. Um, one minute I'll be listening to Baroque, classical, um, <laughs> love me some Bach. Um, and then the next minute I'll listen to like, you know, ambient electronic, like Boards of Canada or Tycho. Um, I love, uh, good Christian singer-songwriters. Um, I always appreciate listening to Josh Garrels. Um, I love John Mark McMillan. Um, I love worship that kind of pushes the boundaries. Um, Jake Hamilton um, is great. You know, he has like this like throat like a 300-pound biker, you know, but he's playing like blues and rock and all kinds of kind of crazy styles um i love christian music that makes me think um i love five iron frenzy christian ska that's old school oh yeah but they did uh they they broke up and then they got back together and and did a, a gofundme page and huh. raised up like two hundred thousand dollars to put out an album and they put out a great what? great great album yeah I'll, I'll play it for you later but um you know, I, I love the Hillsong United, of course, you know, definitely um, can't get away from Jesus culture and, and worshiping to uh, some of that stuff. Um, but I, I still love the Christian hardcore, the Christian metal. Um, I love living sacrifice. Um, I love secular bands that have Christian members in it, um, like my favorite band of all time, Thrice and Dustin Kensrue. Um, I love Dustin Kensrue. I met him. Uh, I know you went to school with him, right? Yeah, yeah. He went to Biola, and uh, we're both from Orange County, the OC. Yeah. No, but so so you said Thrice right after you said secular bands with Christians in it. Um, you understand Thrice as a secular band with Christians in it? Yeah, not all the members of Thrice are Christian, um, oh. but. Um, because so they're, it's not a Christian band, but it's Christians in a band. Yes. Um, Dustin Kensru obviously being a very strong Christian, um, and, and the, the main lyric writer, you hear, you know, G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis and all the stuff that he's reading in his lyrics. Oh, yeah. Um, not all the members are Christian, but they, from what I've heard in interviews from Dustin, uh, you know, they support his expression of faith through their music. Um, I've been listening for years. I, I didn't know that. That that is very cool. And just to see how you know how outspoken he is in his faith, and yeah, I guess you'd have to listen very closely to to pick up on G.K. Chesterton and, and, <laughs> and uh, C.S. Lewis. You said. Oh yeah, yeah. He he regularly quotes both of those authors uh, in interviews and, and things that he he writes. Yeah, right on. So, all right. So that's what you're listening to now. Um, I, I think it's important to talk about, you know. So how how did you go 
um, from going from going to church, and you said, first of all, what what kind of church were you going to, and then tell us about this getting kicked out of church. Oh gosh! All right. So my story, in a nutshell, um, grew up in a Presbyterian church. Um, not a whole lot of the gospel was presented in this church. Um, it was just kind of like that. Um, going through the motions type church um, but you know it was formative in my own religious journey and, and spiritual journey and, and in my parents as well uh, when I was probably around 14 15 years old uh, my parents were uh, in their 30s our neighbors went to a Methodist church down the road and they invited my parents to a uh, music ministry outreach night at the Methodist church. Um, and it was a uh, husband-wife um, by the name of David and Marcy Alves who uh, were, um, they basically wrote music and, and would go from church to church uh, sharing their music and then sharing their faith. Um, my parents attended and then later that night invited Dave and Marcy back to our house and Dave and Marcy shared their faith and uh, both my parents accepted Jesus that night. Um, within a year or two, myself and my brother and sister uh, all accepted Christ as well. Um, for me, it was at, a, at the summer camp that that church uh, was a part of. I went there that summer uh, to Pocono Mountain Bible Conference in Poconos, Pennsylvania, and uh, and gave my life to the Lord there. I, uh, for the first year or two of my faith, I uh, I hit the ground running. Um, I would read the Bible for an hour or two a day. I I met with my pastor once a week for an hour in the morning. Uh, I, I had a paper route that would take me by the church so every Wednesday morning from 6 to 7 I would sit uh, and study the Bible with my pastor um, going through commentaries uh, learning how to do an exegesis by 16 years old I, I delivered a, my first sermon um, at my church exegesis on Romans 12 1 and 2 um, unfortunately in my dualistic thinking, uh, I, I had a very hard time understanding how law and grace work together in a believer's life. Um, and I, I think part of it is my conditioning from my family of origin, but I felt very strongly that good boys get the love. And I, I, I took that, um, that understanding from my family of origin and I put it on God. And so... I always felt like on the days that I read my Bible well and I uh, took thoughts captive and I didn't look at a girl the wrong way, that God was happier with me, that God loved me a little bit more. And on the days that I failed, that God was a little bit, little bit angry at me, that he was upset. Um, that struggle with legalism as if I could influence God's heart towards me uh, 
went on for about two years, and it came to a head with, uh, along with some some depression that kind of grew uh, and hit pretty hard around the age of 17. Uh, it it got to the point where it just came, it just poured out in rebellion, and I actually uh, distinctly remember the day that I woke up and I looked up to my ceiling and I said to God, God, I'm, I'm done serving you. I am done trying so hard to fulfill your law. I can't do it. And so almost overnight, um, I went from being honor roll student, um, president of the youth group, um, to dyeing my hair blue, smoking weed before church, and uh, sleeping with any girl um, that I dated. And I would drop out of school. Uh, my parents had no idea, no idea what happened to me. Um, they thought they thought I was possibly gay. <laughs> I was trying to come out of the closet. Mate. Nobody, everybody shook their head. Um, even I, uh, although I didn't pause and think about it a whole lot because I was just kind of acting out of a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, but even I kind of got a sense at a, you know, from time to time, like, wow, um, this fall from grace has been pretty, pretty drastic. Um, I dropped out of school three times. Um, I would just run away from home for days. Um, there was one incident where um, myself and some other teenage ruffian were out at, at crazy hours of the night and um, we started throwing pebbles at a uh, a girl's window that we knew um, to see if she wanted to come hang out and uh, this other hooligan John went up to the back door and, and said oh my gosh it's open her back door is open and I said and partly because I was just trying to um, outdo the crazy of my peers to get their, their respect I said I'll go and wake her up and have her come hang out with us probably because I was, I was high. Um, so I went up and I went to her room and tried to wake her up and come hang out with us. Well, when the youth group found out about that and the people at church, they were like, this kid's a mess and uh, he's, not, he's not welcome in our church anymore. I, I was, uh, thought it was fun. Um, everybody else thought that it was weird and stalkerish. I can see what they're thinking now. <laughs> So, dad or mom never, they never, no, her mom or dad never caught you in in their house as you're trying to wake up their daughter? No, I went there. Because uh, otherwise you'd be dead today. Probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I, I went in, woke <laughs> her up. I was like, hey, come hang out. She's like, uh, no, I'm good. I'm sleeping. Thanks anyways, though. It's like, okay. And I left. Um but yeah, That's yeah, it, it was a little crazy. Um, definitely not thinking very clearly at that time. Um, 
what was messed up is, is how the church went about it. My dad was a deacon at the church. Um, they basically uh, called my parents to inform them that I'd been kicked out of the church. Um, wasn't done in the most professional manner. Uh, so there's a lot of bitterness there. Um, so, yeah, I have selective memory of that time, but maybe it's for the best. So, just a little um, pause here in the story. What's, now looking back, in hindsight being 2020, what's your message to parents now who have this sort of, have, who have a, a black sheep, wayward child raised right in the church, but now is just dying their hair blue, smoking weed, and, and, and um, doing God knows what? I mean, what's your, what's your message to that parent right now? It's a good question. Um, because my parents um, really had no idea how to respond to my rebellion, uh, I know they had the best intentions out of love. Um, you know, they were they were just struggling for answers for why. I was going through that, but sometimes they would they would react high and right. Like for for example, they would ground me for youth group because I skipped school for a day that week before I got kicked out of the church. So don't don't cut off a good influence in your son's or daughter's life. <laughs> you know, just because you're upset about their behavior. Um, the hard shift for any parent is that you know around those ages 9, 10, 11, 12 years old that's when peers voices start to grow louder than your your voice in influencing your children um, you have to do whatever you can to maintain lanes of communication with that with that child for some uh, for some rebellious teenagers um it could be a very short season. Um, for me, it took a lo- it took a lot of bottoms. It took a lot of processing. It took a lot of pain uh, for me to come to my senses. Um, for others, um, it's just a short season. Um, it is helpful for a lot of parents to get into a support group uh, for parents of prodigals. I know that they exist. Um, you know, I I would say that, number one, never, ever, ever stop praying for your child. I, I think what's, for me, as I've uh, gone through seminary and reading uh, Augustine's writings and, and hearing about Augustine's story, um, he was a prodigal of, of prodigals, um, grew up in the church uh, to a single mother, um, and then left home, uh, joined a cult, had a mistress, um, followed the methodologies and the, the secular thinking of the day, had some pretty weird beliefs with the Manicheans and stuff like that. Um, his mother, heartbroken that her son had left the faith, pleaded with the bishop over and over again uh, for her son's salvation finally flabbergasted the bishop says woman 
with as many tears as you have cried, God will surely hear your prayers. And God most certainly did hear her prayers. And, and uh, Augustine heard God's voice loud and clear uh, in his garden, uh, influence of preachers um, in his area brought him to a saving knowledge of God. God's, God is the ultimate father uh, to that lost son or daughter. So keep putting that, that child in his hands. Um, don't discount the, uh, the influencers in your son or daughter's life uh, that are, are speaking truth and love and light. Encourage that, even if your, your son or daughter can't hear it from you, uh, encourage those connections where they might be hearing the truth with grace. Um, and just love on them. And, and, and be open for opportunities to connect with them. Um, don't miss those opportunities because you react out of anger or hurt. Uh, try to be open prayerfully to those moments when you can love on them, meet them where they're at. Because in a very real sense, they might be in pain and acting out because of the pain that they feel inside. Um, when you react with anger and um, hurt, you can shut down opportunities uh, to love on them and, and show them how you really feel about them. Yeah. So. So right at the beginning, when we started talking, um, you had made reference and got a connection with some of your tattoos, some of your ink with, with depression. So what I'm hearing is, like in those times when you got kicked out of the church, when you were going through all this stuff, dyeing your hair blue and smoking weed and sleeping around, um, you were exp you were putting some of that on your body permanently. Yeah, I, I mean, I've always been a creative type. Uh, whether it's drawing, playing music, um, writing. And I think that, you know, with, with, with those creative types, there's always this desire to create, to communicate. Um, and I, I think tattooing is just one of those avenues of expression. Um, yeah, so, you know, honestly, just the things that I struggle with, the things that I wrestled with, uh, partly because of that was the scene that I was, you know, entrenched in, the hardcore music scene. Um, it, it's just something that kind of flowed from that that season of my life. Sure. Yeah. No, that's 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 good stuff, man. Yeah. One of the one of the things I always want to do is just connect two different cultures. So I've always found myself in the middle, whether it's whether it's through ethnic lines. Like when I was in high school, man, I I could get along with the blacks, with the Mexicans, and even for some reason I got the, the skinheads liked me. I mean, I could get along with with the. Um, with the guys that were listening to gangster rap, I could. I'm, I was in with the punk rockers. Uh, my heart was with the surfers because that's. I mean, I grew up in San Clemente, so. But um, also now, uh, as a grown-up, yep. kind of a grown-up, but uh, <laughs> being able, being that conduit, being that. Um, what's they called the middleman? Um, what's a middleman called? Where he's, he's talking to two different two different like eras. Yeah, yeah, the mediator, ambassador, um, ambassador, whatever. That <laughs> I, I want to be able to connect the old school culture, the the, the grown ups, with the new school, and I and I think I've been in that in the middle for a long time, and being able to communicate. Well, this 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 is what the youth are saying, or and then um, being able to talk to youth. This is this is what they mean. Sure. Um, 
not sure where I was going with that. Oh yeah, but th- that's what I wanted to do here. Was, Connecting cultures, yeah. Yeah, like like yeah, the o- older people are like ah, what's wrong with these youth? Um, why do these kids get tattoos? But in any case, um, when someone is covering their body in tattoos, what is that? Is that a sign of something? Is that someone crying out? Is or are they just artistic and? In nature and expressing themselves through that, what's what's going on a little bit there for the older crowd? Um, you know, I, I think that as I was born in '77, so I, I'm kind of at the tail end of Generation X. Um, so my coming of age was in the '90s uh, for millennials who were born in 1980 or after 1980, and their coming of age is here in the 2000s. I think meanings shift. Um, a lot of my tattoos reflect my faith, um, but they also reflect, you know, the, the cultures and the scenes that I was a part of back then. Um, you know, so there's there's American traditional, you know, there's there's sailor tattoos that represent my uh, 11 years enlisted in the in the Navy, and, and you know that that whole like uh, sailor tattoo tradition. Um, nowadays, you're seeing millennials get tattoos and and it may or may not mean something most people would tell you uh that their tattoos have deep meaning for them but um one of my air crewmen at one of my helicopter squadrons he's got a star wars sleeve (laughs) that shows uh darth vader and and obi-wan kenobi you know i'm not sure what that's saying about him you know and, and his worldview um so I, I think that you know with some young people that you talk to tattoos hold a very deep and personal significance for them you know as far as their their own narrative for others uh tattooing is just a part of uh you know a culture that they've embraced and, and they feel expresses who they are uh, and how they see the world and I've met some people that, uh, hey, I got that just because it looked good and I wanted to get my hands done. So yeah. you, you're going to get a wide spectrum of responses from the young people that you talk to today that get tattooed, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I. <laughs> so it just sounds like there is no tail time. It's like, oh, that guy's, that guy's evil. or he's No, it just sounds like it, it depends who you talk to. I, I do remember... Uh, I forgot which tattoo parlor I was in because we had gone. I was on a ship at the time. We had pulled in somewhere, but I. Um, anyways, these girls were talking in the tattoo sh- parlor, and it was like they were going through this book, like on the coffee table, like uh, which one should which one should I get? Uh, oh yeah, I think number nine is good. And then it's like what? For the rest of your life, you're gonna pick out of a. And I'm not judging people who pick out of a book, but I'm just. <laughs> Just saying. All right, so pretty quickly here. Um, now tell us about, okay, so you got kicked out. What was then the journey and the different milestones that led you to um, your church and then what type, yeah, and then becoming a pastor? Because, I mean, it just this journey is very interesting to me. All the way up there. What were some milestones that led you to where you're now standing behind the pulpit and now uh, Pastor Scott? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, not to go too deep into the story, but to kind of give you just some, some uh, I guess, some highlights. Yeah. God never left me, even though I left him. And, and I, one time my wife and I were interviewing that same singer-songwriter that was talking about Trent Reznor, and he said, I'm noticing that a lot of young people need to go outside of church to find God. And, uh. and I get what he's saying is that because um, a lot of young people today are turned off by these factory-like churches and, and, you know, the Jesus is white kind of Western society church, um, they're hungry for God, but that, that hunger is getting expressed in a lot of different ways. And that's my story. You know, I was hungry for trans transcendence and I looked for it in, in drugs and I looked for it in women and I looked for it in uh, you know all kinds of different experiences it wasn't until God allowed me to come to the end of myself uh, in, in a lot of different ways uh, by his grace allowing me to experience the consequences of the choices that I was making that I ended up coming to uh, an end of an end of my own means, you know, of finding fulfillment, that I ended up realizing, God, you've never left me. Um, it's kind of like that, that Augustine saying, uh, Lord, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. And I, I'd have to say that that's kind of, that would be the title of my autobiography because that's my story. Constantly searching for, for a deeper meaning, purpose, love, um, Give us that quote one more time, because that's, if that's your story, I, I want to make that clear. Yeah, uh, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Oh, man, that's solid. A restless heart until a person finds complete rest, complete peace, complete joy in, in the only one who can give it. Yeah, yeah, and, and honestly, um, you know, there's a few... There's a few small quotes that kind of sum up my theology and that being one and I'd say the other one is um, and I always butcher the name but St. Arenas um, says the glory of God is a human being fully alive um, and there's a second part to that quote that I always forget but I believe that God made us to come fully alive in and through him through finding our identity and purpose within our relationship with him and that's my story honestly is is um running from god finding god um in my own brokenness uh in the consequences of my sin uh, finding his grace and mercy there um realizing um that god was not through with me that that my my sins and failures could be redeemed by him and used for his greater good uh, to draw others to him. And, and so honestly, you know, my ministry now is, is, is a complete expression of his grace. And a lot of my ministerial identity, you know, not to get too theological, but a lot of my identity is based upon being that prodigal son uh, who God sought, you know, the, the, the one lost sheep that, that the shepherd pursued, um, having 
that heart uh, for other outcasts, for other um, children of God that have wandered far from the fold, um, that are struggling with the consequences of their sins, that are feeling the emptiness that comes from um, years of, of searching for life and meaning and purpose outside of a relationship with their loving creator. Um, my heart is for them. And, and because I've known that brokenness, that emptiness, that loss, that um, suffering that comes at your own hand, um, I believe that God opened the doors for me to, to go into ministry, to use all of that, um, still seeing my own story getting redeemed because I'm definitely still broken. I'm still processing my own consequences of my sin. Um, but, so, so you haven't arrived. <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> but God is so much greater, you know, than, than my own um, small life and, and my own struggles. Um, and, and daily, I'm reminded of, of just how good he is. Uh, in, in the midst of our own wavering performance, he, he, is, he is constant and, and he is good and he is faithful um, to see us through. So... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's a privilege to be where I'm at. I, I pinch myself on the regular um, when, I, when I put on the uniform, you know, when I have the opportunity uh, to share my story and, and, and to um, be invited into the best and worst moments of people's lives. It's sacred ground, and, and I um, try to always keep that in front of me that I have... Uh, just a, a real privilege to be able to share God with people like that, uh, who he puts across my path um, in those moments. Sweet. Now, so you'd mentioned also in your past, part, part of your past, part of your story was this experimentation of uh, drugs. Now, I mean, this has been interesting for me lately. Um, over Christmas, was able to take um, one of my cousins through steps of freedom in Christ and uh, this guy and, and, and if I don't tell a story he will he is telling a story now he's been set free but being high for 30 years um, and then finally you know, been sober for two months and then take him through the steps of freedom in Christ um, and then been have run into several others who who did drugs in the past but it called out to them now do you now I mean, do the drugs call out to you like, "Hey, come, come back over here, come smoke me again"? And if it, if you don't have those temptations anymore, I mean, how how does a person find complete freedom and overcome drug addiction? <laughs> it's funny that you ask that because my mom uh, will often tell me, "You really need to go into uh, you know addiction ministry and go help people." that have struggled with addiction because you're on the other side. And I don't, I mean, it's by the grace of God that I don't smoke weed anymore. Um, and I, I did mess around with, with harder drugs. Um, never got addicted to the harder drugs, but I definitely had a psychological uh, addiction to, to, to weed in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I, I think it's, when you, when you talk about in the recovery culture, you, you know, you talk to people that have been a, addicted to things, whether it's sex or drugs or 
uh, whatever Which I call strongholds. I know them as strongholds. The world knows them as addictions, but I, I think you and I know that, that there's something deeper going on. It's, it's a spiritual stronghold. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great writers out there that talk about that. Um, you definitely have to be careful when uh, you've been delivered from one addiction not to find yourself locked up in another stronghold with another um, uh, you know it, it's it, it goes back to like what you said in the beginning you know it's a matter of the heart it's it's very easy for us um, you know one one older church writer said that our hearts are idol factories and I think that that's so true like we we are Who's, who said that because I need I need oh. to know who said that if uh, I wasn't driving yeah. I would look it up on my phone um, we'll get that another time but I, I love that I heard that my, my, my buddy DT told me that the other day it's our hearts are idol factories alright back to what you were saying yeah, and I, I think it's just easy for us to to attach to these things that that offer the promise of comfort, uh, of security, of you know, all of the things that we really can only truly receive from God. Uh, these false idols uh, promise, overpromise, and underdeliver those those truly God given needs that we have. Um, it's so easy for us to to attach to, um, you know, addictions, and and I think there's a lot of religions that talk about that. Um, but I agree with you. You know, when you look at um, strongholds and you look at it through uh, writers like Neil Anderson, um, you know, Christ came to set us free, um, but there are so many things that war against that freedom, uh, not only within us, but also uh, in in the physical world and also in the spiritual world, that are that are warring against our freedom in Christ. Um, and in, in order to um, find freedom in Christ and to maintain that freedom in Christ, well, that's a lifelong battle. Absolutely, yeah. I mean. We all know freedom, when gained, must be maintained, and uh, it is a daily, daily battle. So, let me see, how can we wrap this show up? It sounds like, I mean, you're a pretty insightful dude, <laughs> um, well-read, obviously, so could you give us, I mean, name for us whatever comes to the top of your mind here, um, I don't know, a handful of life-changing books that you've read. Yeah. And then, and then, let's end with, give us your life verse, your favorite verse in the Bible. But uh, life-changing books first. Um, a, a pivotal book for me uh, was Brennan Manning's Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, here's the story of a, a, a priest, a Catholic priest, who uh, s- served in monasteries worked among the poor, became a college chaplain, a university chaplain uh, in Florida, and succumbed to extreme alcoholism to the point that he became homeless on the streets. Um, Christ pursued him, uh, brought him off the streets, 
but Brennan Manning struggled with alcoholism his entire life. Um, he wrote this book called Ragamuffin Gospel about the uh, pure, unadulterated grace of God. Uh, and one of his quotes that I love is, is he says, God loves you as you are and not as you should be because we're never going to be as we should be. And I think for me, like, just reading him, I named my third son after him. <laughs> because uh, he was just influential, you know, for somebody who grew up with a very legalistic background, um, always struggling with um, th this subconscious belief that I, I needed to perform to please God. Um, his writings really... Uh, made a profound impact on my life. So, uh, I love his books. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's, gosh, I, I read a lot of books, so uh, there's a number of books. It's, man, there's just so many to count. Yeah, life-changing. So, that is the second reference. When I when I interviewed um, Pastor Mark Carpenter, he also made reference to that. So, that is definitely going on my, on my wish list. I will read that or listen to it on Audible, but... Man, that, I've just heard so much about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you definitely can't go wrong with reading his book. Another author that I've fallen in love with in the past two years that I can't recommend enough is uh, Richard Rohr. Um, R-O-H-R. He's a Franciscan monk and priest. Um, probably best-known book is Falling Upward, Spirituality in the Second Half of Life. Uh, very ecumenical, knowledgeable writer. Um just uh he has helped me grow so much in his understanding he just wrote a great book on the trinity called the divine dance talking about the holy spirit uh but uh another great writer so two writers brendan manning and richard Rohr. i can't can't recommend enough right on man uh definitely have to get those two and uh let's end with let's end with the book what's your you got a life verse or your favorite verse jesus wept Jesus, what? What? what uh, that's John. John what? I'm just kidding. Um, that's a deep passage, man. It is deep, though, and I don't remember the number right off the top of my head, but it is a powerful verse. Um, and I was saying it in jest, but you know, it's funny. Now that I think about it, um, you know, it resonates really deeply with me because Jesus cries with us. Yes. He weeps with our hurts, and, yes. and Brennan Manning. Um, in one of his books talks about how can someone say that they love you if they don't know what hurts you Yes. and I, I think one of the things that um, always brings me back to how loving and tender and personable our Savior is is that Jesus weeps for our brokenness for our wounds for the areas of our life that are still under um, <coughs> that we still struggle with um, yeah. maybe the areas that we still struggle with strongholds and um, that's the type of savior that we have and that's no man so so the context and, and people are being where are you guys driving you've been driving for over an hour like where are you go we're coming back from a conference that was a room full of religious ministry professionals pastors chaplains um, people in the field of ministry from all really all over the world so this were like world-renowned people in the room so one of the 
one of the questions in one of the breakout sessions was, um, this person is going through this. They've been they've been raped. They found out they have an STD. What kind of counsel do you give? And so my answer was, gosh, you know, I've been reading in the scriptures that that we ought to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So I'm not saying anything. Like I'm going to be present in that moment, and I'll probably be crying with them and saying, "Oh my gosh," and be praying with them. And, and, and maybe not intentionally, but role modeling, looking up to, the, to heaven and saying, God, how do, if you're all loving and all powerful, how do you let this kind of stuff happen? And, and just being real like that. But I said, man, that's not a teaching moment. That is a mourning moment. So I, I will probably be crying with them. So, I mean, all that from your Jesus wept verse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that... Um the fact that uh, God meets us right there yes. in the beautiful brokenness of our own lives um, I mean that's that's I think one of the things that are, that's just so unique about Christianity is that um, a lot of the religions in the world talk about how we can strive to meet God in Christianity we have this God that comes to meet us and it's um it's unique in, in all of the world religions, and it it uh, keeps me coming back. Totally, man. I, you know, the next time we have a Bible study at your home group, I'm I'm, I'm going to open up with this. Like, what if what if God wants to meet you right where you're at tonight? Not not where you're going to be tomorrow. Sort of like Brendan Manning says, like, what if God wanted to hold you right now where you were, and not who you're going to be in ten years or tomorrow? But that's how I'm going to start the next. Okay, so for real now, uh, what's your you got a favorite verse? <laughs> I've got Galatians two twenty tattooed oh, on me. Yes. Um, you know, when a verse says um, Jesus loved me and gave Himself for me, the the, the personable, the, the the aspect of that that just says um, Jesus loved me, Scott, and and He died for me. I think that that's what hit home, um, you know, as we were talking about earlier today before we started taping this, um, you go from head knowledge to heart knowledge. You go from, uh, you know, abstract, Jesus loves me, this I know, um, to Jesus pursued me, um, that shift as it begins to take hold of our hearts. It takes time. It takes years. It takes a lifetime to get that. Uh, from the head to the heart, but with each increment that it goes from the head to the heart, it changes us. That's awesome, man. So, th- Galatians two twenty. Could you just say that verse really quick? Oh, now you're gonna make me think about. I have, oh, dude. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, is it? Yeah, I, I don't know. No, hold on, hold on. Um, um. I can't edit this. I'm going to have to look this up. I know. You're killing me. I slept like three hours last night. Um, Stand by. Keep talking. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a horrible minister. <laughs> well, you know, my philosophy, I have, I have guys that come to me, hey, uh, Ryan, I want to get this tattooed on me. And I said, hey, look, before you get that on you, make sure you've exegeted the crap out of that text like you know the hebrew you know the greek backwards and forth you know the text you know the context and you, f7 yeah. make sure you do spelling on it 
sure you do yeah, a spell check. Spell check, man. Oh, the internet's full of tattoos that have uh, misspellings. <laughs> okay, so who looking up? He gave himself for me as the second part of the verse. Yeah. Um, um, oh my gosh. All right, what this year? What verse? What version do you want it in? I have it in ESV. <laughs> sure, go for it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I couldn't have said it better. Yes. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know what? You're a role model of grace. (laughs) That God has grace for you. And, um, yeah, and it's all right to not have a verse memorized. Let me see. That's that's me every day when I'm driving. I'm like, uh, I know the Bible says something like this, but I don't have it memorized. <laughs> I think that just helps us be put at ease, man. Um, I think there's no better way to to drop the mic than with with God's perfect word. Um, so, with that, do you have any parting words for the Fabcasters all over the world? It has been a honor and a privilege to be able to uh, share a little bit of my broken story with all of you um i hope that our words find you um in a beautiful place being transformed by his grace um every day in ten thousand different ways he is always communicating his love for us um so that it can change our stories and change the stories of those around us so be blessed um thank you right on and with that fab characters we will see you next episode sharing the gospel as well as life with you because well we love you all right peace out